Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Greg Hills. I'm the managing director at FSG. FSG, for those of you who don't know, is a nonprofit social impact consulting firm. And we work with a, a range of organizations, but including companies on social impact strategies, CSR strategies, shared value strategies. And it's my pleasure to help moderate a panel today with uh, two distinguished guests, uh, Tara Collison. Uh, from Cisco. She uh, is a senior uh, manager in strategic planning for their corporate affairs, uh, sitting on my right. And then uh, Courtney Martin, who is uh, in Intel's corporate affairs group with a, a finance, finance specialty, uh, which is an interesting, interesting perspective when you start talking about uh, measuring shared value. And uh, full disclosure, both Tara and Courtney have been clients of FSGs, and I've worked with them uh, fairly closely over the last couple of years, and uh, I'm thankful that they can endure at least one more hour with me <laughs> for this session. So thank you, guys. Um, so I'm going to uh, introduce this uh, session with a, a quick video. But before I do that, what I want to do is ask uh, for the folks in the room, uh, who has heard of the term shared value? Just a show of hands. Nearly everybody. Who has read the Harvard Business Review article by Michael Porter and Mark Kramer, uh, Creating Shared Value? Great. And then lastly, uh, who has read the uh, companion paper, if you will, called Measuring Shared Value, which uh, FSG put out uh, last fall? So I was a co-author with Michael Porter and a few other of my colleagues at, at FSG. So that's, that's the paper that we're going to largely talk about today, the findings and the implications of that. But before I do that, let me show the quick video in sort of a little bit of level setting on the concept of shared value, and then we'll get into some of the meat. Problems of the environment, society, local economies. Corporations have been blamed for viewing these concerns as threats to profit. But what if these problems weren't threats? What if they were opportunities? Not only to make the world a better place, but to increase profit. What if ignoring these opportunities put the future of your business at risk, while embracing them meant outperforming your peers? This isn't some dream, it's reality. But it requires a change of mindset, a shift away from a narrow focus on earning profits toward a broader, long-term focus on what we call creating shared value. Creating shared value operates on three levels. Reconceiving products and markets in ways that meet customer needs while also contributing to society. Redefining productivity in your value chain through social or environmental innovation. And cluster development. Supporting the well-being of industries related to your own in ways that improve societal conditions. These aren't just theories. Each of these approaches have been successfully demonstrated by major corporations. General Electric has developed new health imagination products to deliver high-quality, low-cost care to mothers in developing countries. Intercontinental Hotels Group has implemented Green Engage, an innovative, cost-saving online tool to help its hotels control energy consumption. And Nestle has given resource-strapped farmers in developing economies financial and technical assistance to create a better supplier network. Creating shared value is not an option. It's the future. Learn more about the future of your business at FSG.org. Okay, so uh, 
just a couple observations on the topic of shared value, just to provide a, a finer point on it. The first is that shared value very much builds on the concepts of corporate philanthropy, CSR, and sustainability. But in some senses, it is different in the sense that we, we are looking at doing this within a business strategy, within a business model to drive competitive advantage. So looking at ways to um, drive scalable and sustainable solutions to societal problems. And oftentimes, those problems may not be problems that the company has caused by the footprint of their operations. So we've got Intel and Cisco, two technology companies. When they're addressing healthcare issues in rural communities or education challenges through their technology, those are not problems that they've caused themselves, but they're ones that they can attempt to solve uh, in, in partnership with others uh, because of the kind of company they are. Two, they are, um, they're doing this uh, within the business model but can be supported by philanthropy. Um, in, in typical CSR efforts. So we see CSR-led shared value or we see business model-led shared value. Two different ways of getting to this concept of uh, sustainable and scalable solutions. And thirdly, these uh, approaches are new muscles for companies. The, the, the theory, the concept is, is generally accepted at this point, but actually how to do it, as you'll hear today uh, very eloquently from our speakers, it's hard. It, it's it's it requires companies to do things that have not been typically part of their DNA, not part of their training, not part of how they've been incented uh, to operate. So uh, in terms of the format for today, we're going to spend the, sort of the first half, if you will, just on hearing from, from Tara and from Courtney on what they're doing, a, a, an example of shared value that they're doing in their company and some of the challenges and opportunities there. And then we're going to, the second half, we're going to talk about measuring shared value and really some of the, the themes in the, the research that we've done as well as what they've been doing most recently in their companies. And uh, as a warning to the, to the audience, what I'm going to do is in that first half, I'm going to ask for a couple questions just so that you can prepare your questions now. If you've got a question for either of the panelists, let's, uh, let's have those ready. So uh, without further ado, let's, let's uh, hear sort of uh, an example. Maybe Courtney, we'll start with you. Of, um, of, of creating shared value at Intel. Uh, how is it different than business as usual? How is it, uh, how is it evolving uh, currently? Um, so one thing I want to touch on first as well that I think will help provide some context on the, the lens that I can hopefully bring to this conversation is that at Intel I'm within the um, finance organization. So as we walk through this and we particularly get into the measurement piece, I want to um, help share some learnings from that that I think can be really valuable from a, uh, an implementation um, perspective. So, uh, so at Intel, I think for many years, and particularly from our corporate affairs group, we have um, been intentional in terms of our corporate responsibility investments, our philanthropy, in recognizing um, how that plays into our business strategy. Our vision is to, through technology, connect and enrich the lives of every person on Earth. So... We obviously can't achieve that unless we're thinking about what some of these social challenges are. I think what's been different for us over, I would say, the past two to three years and the, the journey that we've been on is looking at beyond the, the walls of corporate affairs and our Intel Foundation. How do we really leverage all of the assets of the corporation to address some of these challenges in partnership? 
And so it, it started with um, a process with, in which FSG was actually also um, engaged in called the Big Ideas Process, where our foundation reached out to the business units, to sales and marketing, supply chain, product development, to start talking about more closely the work we're doing and how that could um, bring new innovative ideas to the challenges they were facing. And then I would say in parallel to that, um, we have two initiatives, one around um, ESG evaluation and better integrating some of those operational efficiencies into our decision-making, as well as the social impact metrics. And so for creating shared value, what's been um, very new for us in the past couple of years, and I'll, I'll talk through in more detail um, some examples of an kind of old program and then a new one, is combining those social metrics and business metrics looking at those, you know, on that one page and understanding the correlation between those two things. Um, and so to give two examples, one, as uh, Greg mentioned, an ongoing initiative we've had now for over a decade is addressing education through an initiative we refer to as education transformation. So it's not just a device. It's the ICT uh, is in, in that um, solution, but it's looking as well at curriculum, policy, research and evaluation, and teacher professional development. And so education, um, and we'll, we can talk through more in the measurement, some specific um, metrics that we've been tracking is one area. And then uh, a newer area has been around our uh, Girls and Women Initiative. And in particular, we published last year a Women in the Web report that was highlighting the um, disparities due to the fact that women um, in some countries less than 45% less women have access to the Internet than, than their male counterparts and what that impact has on their um, esteem, their professional development, their ability to generate income and economic development opportunities. And so we have a newer initiative there that's very much looking at the, the social side of that capacity building, digital literacy, um, as well as expanding TAM in, in new and emerging markets. And, and TAM um, means first time, for, the, sorry. For, for the audience. Our total available market yeah. and uh, our first time buyer program. So uh, I'll pause there. Two examples one older that we kind of looked back on to see how do we structure measurement around some of the shared value outcomes, and then a newer one um, that I'm actually quite excited to talk more about because it's fun to start from scratch. <laughs> Great. Yeah. So, so just to, to recap, so we've got we've got Intel looks at it as ways of of addressing social problems in ways that they can sell technology into the education markets in the developing world, um, which is addressing building their markets, but also increasing learning outcomes for kids and the ability for teachers to teach using technology. But then also getting women and girls involved in technology again. Um, we know that's crossing the digital divide, increasing their potential livelihoods, but at the same time building uh, additional market. Uh, markets for Intel's products and services. Tara, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. So similar to Intel, we have a both a longstanding program that has um, had a global impact, the Networking Academy program. It was written about in the first Porter and Kramer article a decade ago. Um, and I'm not going to spend too much time on Networking Academy until we come to the, some of the measurement because we have s some pretty sophisticated things built into that program, especially measure measuring both the social and the business impact. But a more recent example that some may be familiar with is, to me, it's about going beyond business as usual and adding in the CSR philanthropy thing and taking both of them to the next level. And an uh, example of where we've done that is with our Connecting Sichuan program. So after the earthquake in 2008, in which um, about 4.5 million people were 
displaced from their homes. 70,000 people perished. Um, Cisco went in, and uh, China was a really important new market for us at the time. In fact, we were doing a lot of first-time development there and building a development center in the southern part of the country. And we were uh, very blessed to be able to partner with the Chinese government, invest about $50 million over three years to kind of rebuild the schools and the school infrastructure, um, rebuild the hospitals and the whole way that the hospital and healthcare system works in the Sichuan province, connecting those rural communities with the urban centers, which were completely disconnected before, um, as well as doing some traditional networking education that we do with our networking academy program. And in doing that, we were able to both have a very relevant business impact, but also a social impact. So, for example, about a third more children go to school now on a regular basis, so a 33% increase in school-aged children enrolling in school and about a 32% reduction in the use of antibiotics and the use of uh, typical really small type of interventions but have a huge impact in these communities that don't have access to that kind of health care otherwise. So people are getting healthier, kids are going to school. From a business perspective, we were able to really extend something that we were trying to do at the time, which was build Chinese products in China for the China market, right? So don't just take our U.S.-based developed products and then sell them into the Chinese market. How do we build specific products that are meant for that market? And so we built a whole couple new product lines, which are now at about $60 million annual run rates in terms of their ability to sell into the school systems and into the healthcare systems with uh, technologies like our health presence and the routing and switching that supports that, the technology that supports that. Um, we are also able to use that program as a reference point for the whole concept of smart connected communities, which is one of our big initiatives in emerging countries, which is how do you create cities that um, are designed for their citizens to have the right kind of connection to the right thing at the right time. And that's really uh, the Connecting Sichuan program has become the healthcare and education example of how we can make that happen. And so we're expanding it in other regions of the world now. So that's kind of, uh, for us, the most recent example of how we brought it all together. Great. Those are, those are, uh, gives you a little bit of a taste of how, how shared value at both their companies is, is evolving. And, and you're, you're hearing what is both what would be considered traditional philanthropic efforts where you're helping um, you know, kids or, uh, to get better education as well as uh, helping communities get better health care. But you're also hearing that linkage to the business. It's a source of R&D. It's a, it's a creation of a new market. It's, it's the creation of products that work for those particular communities in those particular environments that are different than business as usual in other locations. Um, and that's the, the real source of innovation for these companies because these actually are future markets. And um, it's different than, than doing a philanthropic activity and then just calling it a day. They're actually connecting that. Um, before we get to the measurement thing, do any folks have any just uh, questions at this point that you wanted to ask uh, that you're curious about sort of Intel or Cisco's efforts? Yeah. What part of the, like, what was the... The yeah, origin. For, yeah. for Cisco, with connecting Sichuan in particular, uh, it started with the CSR, right? So the immediate response is disaster recovery. And so we do some of the traditional philanthropic disaster recovery kinds of things, and we did do that. We have a uh, disaster recovery team at Cisco where we have these sort of giant pods. Think of them as like shipping containers, 
and they're like networks inside a shipping container. And when there's a natural disaster, we fly those in, and we literally drop them into the affected zone, and all nonprofits then connect. We do it through NetHope, and they all the nonprofits then connect. They have a network to go and deploy. We continue to do those kinds of things, but then when we wanted to make a big incremental investment like we did in China or like we did after Hurricane Katrina in the United States, we did a $45 million education investment. When we want to do that, that gets us that inroad to have the right conversations with the right individuals, and then you figure out what makes sense for Cisco to uniquely contribute. Because if we can't uniquely contribute and do something unique, anyone can give money. A lot of people can do disaster response. And if that's all that we can do, then we exit at that point. If there's something unique that we can do that to potentially leapfrog and really transform a country or, a, uh, in this case, a province, then, then then we see an opportunity. And it really made business sense as well as a sense for the Sichuan province itself. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely. And then, and then for the connecting Sichuan, then the you know the government of China starts paying for these. Absolutely, these it's all tra it's all transferred now, and yeah. we don't run it at all anymore. It's completely run by the government now. Yeah. Yep. And I would say for um, in the case of education, back again, if we think back ten years ago, um, there was a very CSR driven initiative around Intel Teach, teacher professional development and training. Um, and other digital literacy programs that, that was very CSR-driven. I would say in parallel, but not connected, the business units are saying, oh, in the education sector, our lunch is eaten by Apple, and there's you know a lot of competition out there that we need to get to the table um, and be part of. And I think so that's been more recently where we've actually restructured some internal business units to cover services, software, training, the devices so that there's that more comprehensive picture. Um, we also, in several countries, use a, a motto, one country, one plan, so that there's that partnership between the sales and marketing group and the corporate affairs group around what, you know, who are our key partners, wh who, where are we influencing, what cities are strategic for us to be in so that we can target if we have additional teacher trainings or if there's um, local manufacturers that we want to use to build uh, our, to build the, the Classmate PC or our devices. So there's that partnership there. I think with the um, Women and Girls Initiative, it's been a little different in that it, it definitely, the, the idea and the initial research came from the Corporate Affairs Group, but it aligned at a point where we were doing a, a corporate-wide strategic discussion on which emerging markets to focus on in terms of mobile device rollout. So it was very much um, the business unit saying, this is a great way for us to also come to the table and be um, very kind of legitimate in, in having many reasons to be there. So a little bit different. I, d I don't think we've been to the point yet where there's been a full transfer, per se. So interesting uh, anecdote about the Intel Teach piece, which is one is the teacher professional development. They've trained 10 million teachers on how to use technology in the classroom. That originated in the Intel Foundation. And, and because it was starting to uh, create business benefit, they moved it out uh, in order to avoid self-dealing. Uh, so you can just sort of see the evolution in terms of how that was valuable. Let me take one more I saw here, and then I'm going to move to the measurement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. IBM in Chile going 
What's the source of competitive advantages for Cisco, for Intel, for IBM? Where are you differentiating yourself on? Because the potential to create share value is there, but why would the government surely come to one of you versus the other? What, what is your point of distinction from other companies that are trying to undertake similar initiatives? Hmm. Do you question? No, I think it's a great question, and I think one of the things for us at, in, at Cisco is if we can build those local products, for example, in China in particular, there was other IT companies that are involved, and certainly some of our partners were also involved. We didn't do this all by ourselves, first and foremost, And um, but in the long term, our differentiation is being able to build products that actually make sense in the Chinese market to get that depth of understanding, that relationship that helps build that, and as you probably all know if you're reading the news, Cisco has quite a tough uh, road in China in particular because our number one competitor is Huawei, and they are a Chinese company. And in many Chinese organizations, what's happened there as a result is um, in many uh, of the Chinese governmental organizations, they are not permitted to purchase Cisco equipment. And all of a sudden, because of this partnership, we were able to build features and functions into our equipment that even Huawei didn't have in theirs. And so now all of a sudden we're able to sell. So a huge competitive advantage for us, but now we have a feature set that we can sell to the school systems. And it's specific to the school systems. It's not necessarily um, the, the kind of feature that's going to emerge out of our iOS group or whatever, but they're the ones who end up implementing that kind of thing. So for sure. us, it's, it's relationships plus that stuff. And if they call us when the next thing happens, then that helps us keep that going. So I'm gonna, I'll take some more questions at the end. I want to get to the measurement piece. So if we can put up those, uh, that one slide. So I'm going to transition, as I said, to the measuring shared value. So when the, the Harvard Business Review article came out in January of 2011, you know, there was a lot of discussion about it and, and a lot of uh, engagement by uh, executives both on the, on the CSR side as well as on the business side. But the big question, the most common question we got from people is, great, how do you measure this? How do you actually... Uh, bring accountability? How do you understand how you're having impact both on the business side and the social side? So uh, very quickly, we sprang into action and uh, published this. I had the pleasure of working with Michael Porter and other colleagues. Uh, Intel was one of the sponsors along with Nestle, Intercontinental Hotels Group, and the Rock Rockefeller Foundation. So this came out uh, about a year ago. You can go to the next slide. And uh, essentially the... Uh, sorry, you can go to the next slide, please. Great. So uh, essentially, uh, I'll give the Reader's Digest version of this. Uh, so three points. The first is that for measuring shared value, what you need to do is start with the strategic intent. It needs to start with what is the strategy, what is the shared value strategy that you're seeking to measure. It's not an after-the-fact what was achieved by what a set of activities that we did, but actually identifying that social issues of target and, and making that business case at the beginning, and then, and then the measurement starts in, in steps three and four, tracking your progress against those intended results, and then lastly, um, measuring the, the, the actual outcomes and using those insights to unlock additional value, knowing what happened and how you can improve on that. So, so thinking about this, this integration between strategy and measurement is the first point. The second is to actually understand that linkage between achieving social results and achieving business results. So to use an example with, with Intel, if your classmate PC, which is this sort of dumbed-down laptop for the classrooms, if this is actually driving educational outcomes, it's helping teachers teach and students learn, and you've got efficacy data around the learning outcomes, 
those social results will drive additional business results because you've got, uh, you've got governments that are looking to drive increased digital literacy and learning in their classrooms. So understanding that linkage between the social outcomes and business outcomes and not having them just side by side. And the third big point in this paper uh, that we could spend a whole day on is that measuring shared value should have a pragmatic approach to actually doing it. This needs to live within a business environment where people are used to having weekly reports or quarterly reports or annual reports on performance, performance management. So really thinking about that in the mindset so that you establish proxy indicators for uh, longer-term social results. You have more real-time reporting of data. You have assumptions about things that, that need to be achieved, and you measure those so that you can make course corrections and not wait four or five years with the same exact program and do a random a controlled trial and uh, hope that you've been doing something right. You actually need to make those course corrections just like business does in the normal course of its activities. So those are the big, uh, those are the big recommendations we had. So what I'm going to uh, do now is let's go back to, uh, to Courtney and to Tara and let's talk about sort of how measurement of shared value is manifesting itself in your companies. What have been your experiences and lessons thus far? Sure. Um, so to, to talk about experiences and lessons, <laughs> to the, to the um, research that we did with the education transformation, I think it was critical to go back and, and look at some metrics and, and put them together to see the total picture of the social impact and the business impact. So we had, um, for example, we have our, our internal research team that had done these deep dive studies on where um, Argentina was an example, where we had a large classmate PC deployment partnered with the teacher professional development, and we did, over time, see rises in the student scores. Um, that we know that we could, we could um, relate our intervention to the outcomes there. And we know, obviously, what the, the sales were for that same region. And so that was, that was fine. We could go back and see that. But I think where you, you start to hit a challenge is if you don't set up what you're going to measure in the, let's see, between two and three, I'll say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very specifically and obviously manageable. I mean, I'm a fan of even if there's three to five things that you're going to track, it's better than not tracking a list of 30 metrics that you'd like to have. And you understand where, what systems those will come from, who will actually pull that information, how they will report it to you, and who that gets rolled up to so that there's actually some visibility into understanding what progress has been made on the program. Um, so, you know, as we're setting up these new initiatives, that's a much easier process to go about in terms of identifying that up front. The other big piece from the finance side that struck me, and actually I was new to the organization when, when we started working on the education transformation piece, um, so it was unbeknownst to me how, how big of a challenge it would be to define and collect the data that was the investment into the education transformation initiative. Um, the, the goodness of shared value comes when you have all these business units engaged and, and multiple assets at the corporation, but that's also where the, the uh, I almost used the word nightmare, and I just did. Complexity. <laughs> Try complexity. complexity. There you go. <laughs> um, can come into play. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I think as much, too, as you're looking at what are, what are the outcomes and the intended impact is in the measurement um, setup is defining what counts 
as your investment in that as well so that you can look relative to other options you have on if this is really worth it um, mm -hmm. and understanding the systems where that can come from. So go find yourself a nice finance person that deals with clothes and their day-to-day -day life. Isn't that exciting? But they have access to lots of data. <laughs> and um, I think use that as a tool to help define some of the investment piece up front as well. Yeah, so just, I mean, so, so and this was a, is a great learning for, for Intel and, and certainly for us as well, is, is that this, this a notion of value creation implies you've got an investment and you've got a return, right? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have both of those components, it's really impossible for you to understand the value creation that is happening. Uh, but if you can't, you know, if you can't capture either side of that equation, it's really challenging to, to measure how well you're doing. Because with this business case, you actually are going to project what your value creation is going to be at the outset, and then you seek to, uh, to track how well you're doing against what you projected. So it's critical to be able to get your arms around all those elements at the outset. Sarah? Yeah, I would, I would echo everything that you're saying in terms of kind of where it becomes the most tricky over time. But, um, and what we've done in measuring shared value with the Networking Academy program, I alluded to a few minutes ago that I'd talk a little bit more about that, is that we've sort of um, iterated on it over the years. And as we learn, we do something a little bit better, and we learn a little bit more than we do a little bit better. And, and where we've landed at the, at the very beginning of the program, it was, you know, we, the Networking Academy program, for those of you who may not be familiar with it, is a worldwide education program in about 10,000 schools around the world that we partner with in 165 countries. And what we do is we give the schools the curriculum, the assessment, the online platform for all of the teaching of networking skills and they deploy it in their schools. So we have about 17,000 instructors and about a million students a year go through at least one of our courses. And so at the end of a series of courses, all the way from you know, IT essentials, which is sort of very basic uh, IT kind of certification, all the way through a CCNP, which is sort of the mid-level Cisco certification. Once they are getting to the level where they can be cert ready, I mean, they're ready to go take a certification and then get a job, we start really tracking them at that point. We track them all the way through, but at that point, that was our first kind of indicator of, okay, so this has some real value to us as an industry, right? The more skilled labor that's out in a particular country or a particular market, the better Cisco can do, right? Because there's always a gap between how much IT labor is out there and how much um, skilled labor is in the market versus what is needed for our partners and our customers to grow. And so what happened is we just, at first we were just measuring how many people were certification ready, how many are coming through the program, if you will, throughput. That was telling us sort of a little bit about number three, tracking our progress. But in about 2005, we said, well, what's the gap? How much, how much of a gap is there and how much are we filling that gap? It allows us to understand a little bit more about the front end, about the business case. Are we still fulfilling a gap? Or is the gap closing, and are we helping shrink that gap? And so what we've done, starting in about 2005, we started doing country-level market studies to understand what's the networking skill gap at a country level, how much is Networking Academy now helping fill that, and we're really trying to get to a place where we have an algorithmic kind of way to understand, based on the level of investment in a country, which fortunately we are able to track at this point, but we weren't in the early days of Networking Academy. It's 15 years old now, so I'm glad we solved that problem <laughs> along the way. Um, but based on our investment in a particular country, how many Networking Academy students are coming out, and how is that skills gap then shrinking, which is really for us the source of competitiveness out of the Networking Academy program is sort of creating more competitiveness for us in the market, and especially for our customers and partners to grow because we're a very channel-led type of, type of company. So.
if you listen to the, the, the way the conversation is going here and how they've characterized this, it's consistent with what we, what we wrote about in the papers that the measuring shared value approach is very much a management tool. It's a, it's a management function that is more oriented toward internal decision-making about allocation of resources, about uh, priorities, about whether or not to invest in certain things than it is about reporting externally. However, uh, most companies that are here uh, live in a world in which there's uh, a need for constant reporting, and there's a lot of stakeholders that are interested in knowing what you're doing and why, and you're doing annual reports, et cetera. So there's a tension there between something that oftentimes, if it is a source of competitive advantage, and it's something that is driving uh, business for you versus somebody else, then it's something you might want to keep closer to your vest. Yet, at the same time, if you're, if you're uh, driving social impact, uh, you actually want to be communicating that externally. Can you guys talk about the tension between that sort of external and internal stakeholders? Sure. Um, I think just a lot of transparency up front in yeah. terms of expectations on the purpose of setting out a shared value strategy and the components of it that are for external audiences. Um, that's the best way I can think of because otherwise it comes back of, oh, that looks like an interesting nugget of information. And if you've defined up front um, the purpose and the use of that, I think it can eliminate some of that tension. What if somebody, and in, in, in the transparency, sorry, to just, um, if someone says, well, you're just, um, you're just trying to get rich off of kids who are trying to learn. How do you, I mean, this is sort of the, the that to play a devil's advocate around the shared value concept, right? You're yeah, where, okay. where you're actually. You know, I, I think the offset to that is through um, the the research and the third party research that we've facilitated to demonstrate uh, that causation that I was mentioning, right? Of where we have had for the the teacher training deployments, and we have had the classmate adoption, is to ensure that um, in alignment with that external messaging, that you have that data to to back it up. And, you know, that's something that, and I'd like to actually talk more about this a, a little bit later, but, um, you know, we can't go to every deployment and do this deep dive causation analysis. Right. So how do you do that in a, a, the right number of assessments? And I think the woman from the um, Marine Forest Alliance touched on this this morning, that you can then, um, if you have a systematic way to gather data from the majority of the, the programs and activities, that you can kind of connect the Makes dots. Sense. Right, um, in order to to back up those claims that um, maybe we're getting rich, but not at the expense of young people. Yeah, right? but it's a sustainable it's a sustainable model that can be scaled to various markets. Well, and, and I think that's yeah. the point is yeah. that it, it, it is scalable, right? Because if, yeah. if you're not doing some of those elements to make it scalable and help the business grow, then there's going to be no more business left to do anything, right? So how do you get strike the right balance, and how do you make sure that the external community, when you're talking about it, that you don't take any reputational tax or levy if you are completely transparent about some of the stuff that doesn't work and what you learn about what works and doesn't work? One of the things that came out of our skills gap research in the early days is we started doing large-scale deployments because in places where there was huge gap and a huge need, like um, Egypt, China, we've done one in Russia, we did one in Turkey, um, we, you know, do a large-scale deployment of the networking academy where, you know, every educational institution of a particular level in Turkey, for example, was the high schools. Every high school in the whole country adopted it 
to basically build a skill set into the fabric of their economy. That's what the Turkish government was trying to do. And by partnering with the government to do it, they get to then talk a little bit more externally about it, makes it an easier dialogue. It's not Cisco coming in saying, look at all this great stuff we did. It's the Turkish government saying, this is a capability we're trying to drive. Then you get to talk externally about the impact that it's having. And was there some benefit to, to business in Turkey? Sure. We had a lot more strategic relationships, as the gentleman was bringing up a little bit earlier. Has a, a, a bounce-back positive effect for the company, as well as reducing the skills gap in a pretty critical region in the, you know, in the Middle East for us. So. Yeah. And I think even as, as you see success as the initiatives being adopted in the business units, there's always that role of the corporate affairs organization of um, as we maybe move into the business unit, there's more of a speed constraint of we got to move fast, we got to be there now, it's got to be this quarter, we got to launch this product. And that balance of listening to the government of what do you need, what are your national goals, where do you see the skill set gaps in, in teaching or in the school systems, and that being kind of that self-fulfilling prophecy of we're meeting their needs, they then have tenders that how they need devices to, to meet some of those needs. And when you come with that package of the software, you use the research to demonstrate the impact that it's had, it, it creates that, that more sustainable long-term partnership. Let me, uh, let me open up the questions just so that we can get, get folks. Yeah, go ahead. I was wondering if there were instances where you established some metrics for measuring shared value at the beginning of the project and then realized afterwards they didn't work and what you might have done to, to course correct in year two or three. Hmm. That's a really good question. Yeah. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I think the, the better learning or the, it's more nuanced a little bit. It's not so much that this metric was wrong or that metric was right. But one of the things that we've learned, for example, uh, stakeholder perceptions and our relationships with key stakeholders is super important to us. So similar to, you know, uh, what Courtney was alluding to around the government. Government relationships tend to be really important for us because we're trying to do country transformation in a lot of these instances. And what we've learned is that what is important to a government stakeholder may not be the same exact thing that's important to the investor community or that's important to the media PR community. And so how do we balance across those? So in the early days, we would just measure perception across all of those audiences and kind of lump it together. Or over here, we'll measure what the investor community thinks. And over here, we'll measure what the CSR thought leadership community thinks. And then there's also what the government you know, leaders think. And but not the same thing. We couldn't aggregate it. You don't really know, are we doing better with one community versus the other because it was completely separate. Mm -hmm. So one of the lessons we've learned is we need to make that a little bit more consistent. What do we mean by having deep stakeholder relationships? Is it just goodwill? Is it something beyond that? So we'd be getting more sophisticated with our measurement as well as consistent across groups and stakeholders. So working with the brand team on how they do perception ratings and rankings, not just what we think it should be in, in corporate affairs. Mm -hmm. Or even in the BUs, right? Because Cisco is very customer satisfaction oriented. We want to do everything against customer sat, but that's not necessarily the right thing here. So how do we influence that? Those are the kinds of things that we learn along the way, and we're trying to build in our next set of initiatives. We're taking some of the healthcare things to Brazil, and we're launching that project in Brazil with all kind of newly aligned across the BUs, across sales and marketing and brand, all the metrics all aligned across all of that as we roll that program out. So it's our, our first shot at kind of putting it all together in maybe about five, ten years or so. So we're really excited to see 
where that goes in the next few years. I might have a better answer for you then. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were talking at lunch that, the, that some of, um, for both Intel and Cisco that they're, they have legacy programs that have been going on for a decade or more. The measuring shared value concept really represents a, a bit of a retrofit in a sense because it was you know, created in a, in a different, with a different notion around what the benefit to the business was. But with new efforts that are being launched, either in a new geography or a new focus area, there's an opportunity to do things at the outset where you've got all of those business and social metrics aligned from the beginning and actually collecting and reporting them and making decisions with those uh, going forward from, from the get-go. Which you know, uh, And that seemed like, a, at least according to you were saying, a big lesson from the work that we did mm-hmm. together. Yeah, and I think, um, again, we haven't had a shared value framework, you know, set up for three years to go back and say, I think this was not the right metric. But one of the areas, and this is back to if you have more input on this, Greg, of um, when you're looking at, so, for example, if we're doing an activity in a region and where we would expect to see more first-time buyers, you know, is it that you are measuring that those folks have increased their digital literacy skills and they're accessing the Internet more, and then you need to track that person, do they buy a device? Um, Or are you looking at sales in that region? Is there some proxy you can use to then correlate? Did that intervention around digital literacy have an impact on overall device sales? So um, it's kind of a comment, or if you have any other input on it, where I think there's challenges in setting the right metrics is which ones do you physically measure yourself? Which ones do you use third-party data from? And make some correlations to, which ones do you do the deep dive study on, and then assume if you're kind of using that same process, can you link to? Yeah. Other questions? We had some hands earlier. Yeah. This is it. So, yeah, yeah. Go, shoot. Go away. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> This is, I mean, so the report itself is available online, uh, fsg.org, if, you, if it's for free, and, and certainly encourage you to read that. It, it gets into, uh, you know, it's, it gets into a lot of the framing of it. There's some of the data there, um, but it's still, uh, you know, admittedly, it's still a 101 version of how to approach this because a lot of companies are in the early stages of doing this. this you know, in the last session, someone said it's the new metrics conference. <laughs> so it's... So. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. <laughs> yeah. She's very good-hearted, I don't think. Yes. Uh, so I'm, I'm wondering what some of your more challenging metrics were, and if in your efforts to quantify and measure results, you were really just after some cost-benefit analysis that somebody could use to justify what they wanted to do all along, to be quite frank. Well, there's always that risk, right? That some, you know, somebody might come along, and that's the reason they want you to do a particular type of analysis. But I know at Cisco, in particular, some of the more challenging metrics for us are more, to be honest, are around brand and having to integrate what we're doing and show the impact to the brand because it's really hard to break brand down at a country level, for example. But we can break down a lot of our other programs at a country or regional level. Um, and at a programmatic level, but how do you look at the impact, say, networking academies had over our give-back programs in a particular country or our volunteer programs in a particular country? And so what we're interested in is understanding what are, what are the components and how much does CSR writ large, not a particular program, but all of our CSR efforts impact the brand. And that's probably one of the most challenging things. I'm looking at my colleague here who it's her day job to measure that piece, and, and it's, been, it's been quite 
quite a challenge, and we're on a, lo- a long journey, quite quite honestly, on that piece. Um, and then sometimes, yeah, you 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 do run the risk, quite honestly, of people looking at what is intended to try to start getting at quantifying the business value and turning that into an ROI to say, yes, we should have this program, or no, we shouldn't in some cases, right? Um, but I always look at that as an opportunity to start having the dialogue around tangible and intangible. There's things that are really easy to measure, and then there's the softer side, and we're really fortunate to have a CEO who understands inherently that. And so the softer, more you know, qualitative-type metrics have just as much weight, and we're able to have a conversation anchored in them. Um, and for us, it's about getting the consistency in that. Um, and I would say for us, the biggest challenge on this curve is making the business in a case, business cases in a way that articulates that at the front end. You know, Courtney, you alluded to it when you were saying, you know, being able to line out those metrics at the beginning is super important, and that's probably the place where we have the most room to grow at Cisco. We're good at measuring it on the other end, but and at pretty much every program, but specifying what that impact's going to be at the front end is a little bit more difficult for us. Yeah, and I think this this step, making the business case, is particularly challenging for companies, and a lot of the yeah. folks that we've worked with have struggled with, okay, well, what are my, let's let's say I do come up with a business case in a certain NPV or ROI or whatever the metric that you use is, how is that compared against other potential uses of that capital in the company? And uh, it's a great question, and some people will say, well, it needs to be lined up exactly with the other ones, and if it doesn't cut the mustard, then see you later. Whereas others will say that, well, you know, this is a longer-term uh, play and that you need to have a, a bit of a longer time horizon or lower hurdle rate in order to allow it to live because you are innovating around a new market or around a new population. So uh, what we've seen in our research, and there was one, if, if folks didn't catch it, I, I recommend, it's a pretty good read. It's called Innovating for Shared Value. It was just in the Harvard Business Review this month uh, by several of my colleagues at FSG that talks about different structures that companies put in place to either have the mainstream, so you're comparing the, the opportunity with um, other potential investments, or to have them carved off in a social investment fund or a special business unit that has this sort of different uh, sets of parameters by which you measure the success. So that companies are doing it different ways depending on how proven it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, you know, again, it, 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 not all shared value investments are going to be able to live next to what is business as usual. There's a reason mm-hmm. that shared value often is not done is because it doesn't measure up against business as usual, but it's an innovation that needs time to develop. Yeah, yeah in the back. <laughs> you did mention that um, there was an attempt to try to apply these methodologies to programs that were already in place and to try to um, you know, measure the business value of uh, activities that you've been engaged in already and you've got stakeholders and et cetera. Yeah. Um, do you have any examples of success? By the way, I'm so happy to have somebody who does have a day job. <laughs> Do you want to take that one? Sorry. I, I think examples I missed at the end. Examples of success within just it being in different groups or? I'm talking about sort of, you mentioned the concept of the web book. Yes. Mm-hmm. Looking at what you're already doing and saying, okay, um, how are we extracting value from that? How is that value being expressed? Or is it? 
are, are there ways of attributing both business and social value to programs that were in existence that weren't necessarily set up with an original shared value business case? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think you're you're saying unlocking the what you call the unlocking the new value, right? Yeah. From looking at the metrics in this way. And I think um, similar to what you touched on earlier around the product development side is a big piece of that, where you've been able to say, oh, if we're, you know, obviously we do these types of testing and environmental design and and usage case um, as part of our R&D, but I think there's an additional component and layer of being in the classroom, being part of that teacher training, being part of understanding how students are using devices physically, um, not only through... The, the sales side, but also, um, you know, we have other programs like our employee engagement. It's similar to Networking Academy in that we send employees on this two-week program to do a classmate PC implementation. So it's introduction to new markets, but it's also a very strong loop of they come back and provide feedback, and that gets integrated back into the business unit. So I think looking at the metrics together, one example of that new value was, was through the product development cycle. And some of the things we've, we've learned from the, the retrofitting, if you will, is, is that in addition to sort of the, the metrics and what you're actually trying to capture from a social and business value perspective, the other shift that's required, and this is not surprising, but it's worth mentioning, is the organizational change that has to happen within a company whereby you're actually having people in corporate affairs talk to people in marketing and sales and R&D and in the geographies and to actually share the information and make decisions together, where, whereas you know in the past those may have been siloed and may not have actually had a formal way of, of actually communicating around results. So even if you have the numbers, the actual sort of the, the processes by which you make management decisions is actually something that needs to change. And that, as we know, with any sort of work change, it takes time and it's hard and it's new muscles and people sort of say, why am I you know talking to these people or. That kind of thing. So it's it is. I don't want to underestimate how how much this uh, requires a bit of a shift within companies. Yeah, and I think to the comment earlier, actually, I was thinking of a little bit more in terms of it, is doing the ROI a reason to try and kill it? Um, as, even if you're starting from a corporate affairs perspective, if we have our budget, it's not going to get. It might get whittled away through tougher times, but it's not going to go away. So how do we internally prioritize? There's a lot of things and different ideas we've thought of about how we could engage in society and, and address these challenges. So even if it's an internal prioritization, that's a way we've found it helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it's uh, it, it's emerging, and uh, we're seeing it with uh, we're seeing with large pharmaceutical companies when they're entering into developing world markets where they uh, have gone from a traditional metric of looking at profitability to looking at units sold, even though there's you know really low margin on it. Uh, so like going into India, for example, instead of looking at at, at the, the margins that you're achieving, you're actually looking at uh, the scale that you're able to sell, and that changes the, the really the sort of how you actually might implement that on the ground, the business model you might have, and, and sort of what gets through in terms of investment. 
Um, I recently worked with a, um, a, a credit union. It was in, a, in Rochester, New York, and they were looking at ways to serve the underbanked community, which typically is, um, is not considered profitable. But looking at that as sort of an investment in, a, a, you know, a percentage of the underbanked community is going to be uh, sort of a, a banked customer down the road and something that can be serviced uh, with an economic model behind it. But actually thinking about that as a long-term investment and giving some assistance to them in terms of financial literacy, et cetera, to make them real customers down the road. But that's a, a higher investment per customer than you would with a typical customer. So, you know, but it, what it requires is, is a, an acknowledgement that this is innovation and these are different markets and therefore... Much like, I mean, the companies have portfolios of investments where they have different returns on investment throughout, and that's, that's not uncommon. What is uncommon is for companies to think about social problems as business opportunities and to also provide the uh, adjusted uh, uh, rate of return. Yeah, and I think we, we've used, um, within our finance organization about two years ago, we put together a framework, and it's, it's very basic and probably... Everybody here can do, write this out themselves, but as a way to standardize how we talk about the value created from environmental and social initiatives, so around our um, risk management, our operational efficiencies, the brand, and then potentially new revenue opportunities, at least as a way that we could put examples you know, under it and take it to controller and they say, I get it, right? And so through that, um, in some of our internal value chain shared value work, um, for example, around water, initially some of our, our payback period was longer corporate-wide for some of the reclamation projects because we recognized, while we didn't say it was you know worth $100 million, that in certain areas we operate are very dry regions. There are certain limits to municipal infrastructure in those areas. Um, and so while we didn't quantify, per se, the cost that would be to Intel. We know how much it costs to expand that or replace it, and that number is very large. So as you have this framework with these other factors, you could take into consideration alongside an analysis that does get you that payback over, let's say, five years versus three, which could be standard for other projects, um, was a way to influence more adoption. And then that's actually been pulled in because we did have quite a bit, a bit of adoption, for better or worse yet, but to a standard payback time period. But in the earlier stages, it was a little bit longer. Do one more question, and we can wrap up. If not, let me let me ask a, a, a final question to both of you. Maybe Terry, you can go first. So you both have have spent a considerable amount of time um, and resources with your teams, sort of uh, understanding how a measuring shared value approach will affect how you measure things today and in the future. What are some what, what's some advice that you would give to folks? Um, as, the, as they might consider starting on this journey uh, to, you know, to learn from your experience? I think two things come to mind. One is sort of really understanding your stakeholders in a way that helps you drive the change you're looking for and be ready for a journey, right? So for us, it's a, a longer-term journey. We have a, a few executives that really just inherently get it. So for them, they don't want to spend a lot of time on the topic, but there's other executives who need, you need to build the business case for. So it's not just like you tell all executives the same thing, right? So super targeting that message, especially in the early days. Um, that's one piece of advice. And, and uh, my second uh, piece is that for us, having an overarching framework as a place to anchor the conversation 
it prevents like these sort of little tangents that you go on about this program or that program or the efficacy of a particular program because they're all driving shared value in a different way. So it takes the conversation to a new level. So anchoring it in some kind of framework and then finding what your entry point in that framework is, I think those are the kind of two pieces of advice I'd leave with the, with the group. Yeah, when you first said know your stakeholders, I was only thinking externally and then, you know, internally of what are the business priorities? I mean, you could have the world's biggest social challenge that you think is so important to address, but you're not going to get any traction if that's not anywhere on the radar of anybody internally in the business. Um, and so as you're thinking of getting started around this, one thing that we had been working on last year as well is looking at, um, you know, obviously find potential partners in some of the business units that you've, you've done work with before, but... Um, doing a couple of pilots around the framework of even if we were going to do a shared value strategy around healthcare in China or the aging population in Russia or you know, girls and women in Africa, what would be the metrics and, and does this make sense? And just recognize that based on timing, based on availability of data, based on um, budgeting priorities and corporate you know, strategic decisions, some of those pilots will fall off. And you might nail one that becomes then your case to actually collect the data on, measure, and demonstrate how this adds more value to the process. So definitely some experimentation once you understand the stakeholders' priorities in terms of um, finding a, a good place to start and get some traction. Excellent. So, yeah, so work well with your internal stakeholders. Know that there's a, 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 an absolute business opportunity there. Um, and, uh, and it's a journey. I mean, I think we've, we've heard that loud and clear that this is – Companies are at the early stages of doing this. It's hard, but it's something that is, uh, I can attest, and, and so can both of them, that once you start speaking the, the language of business value and business performance uh, intertwined with the social benefit that you're achieving in the world, it starts to get a different audience within the company. And you start to get executives to wake up and say, oh, I get it. This is a new market. This is innovation. This is our ability to compete on, on a different playing field, and that's exciting. So... Um, Companies are doing this authentic, uh, authentically and, and really trying to learn their way into this. And um, I encourage you all to, to you know, talk to these folks afterwards. Also, uh, for folks that are interested in, in learning more broadly about shared value, uh, with the support of about 20 other companies, uh, FSG has, uh, has started a, a, a community of practice around this called sharedvalue.org. Um, the Shared Value Initiative, which is housed at sharedvalue.org. It's, it's free to join, and, and folks can go on there. There's a lot of resources and case studies. So it's a place where um, folks that are struggling with this or learning and sharing can go and, and share information. So uh, thank you all, and uh, appreciate the time and the good questions.